Welcome to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFISFM. Oh, hi, it's uh, Senior Moments. We're just trying to answer the telephone. <laughs> um, welcome to Senior Moments. Uh, our first guest has called in and we lost him. And so uh, it's a beautiful day out today. I hope everybody had a good weekend. Um, we've got, uh, yeah, we got him on. Mike? Good afternoon. Oh, hi. <laughs> we've got Mike Morris on the line, folks. And I'm not going to start off with the latest news. <laughs> I want, Mike, I want to talk to you about what's going on in Victoria right now. What's the worst thing that's happening? <laughs> well, a lot of feedback on your on the line here right now. Yeah, I hear it too. Yeah, there's feedback uh, on the line, Reg. Shall I call, call back on a different yeah. line here? Should Should he call back? There, got it, Mike. Yeah, Is, shall I call back? No, I think we're we're good now. We're good. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, so, what's going on in Victoria right now? Well, we've got a. Uh, uh, a government that is um, cheering their successes in making BC one of the most uh, unaffordable places in British Columbia. <laughs> That's yeah. the, the frustrating part. The most expensive housing, the most expensive rent, the most expensive gas, um, all of that stuff. And uh, and it just continues. And we have a crime rate, uh, you know, the catch and release program we yeah. have. Yeah. I understand there's another homicide that took place in Prince George. So all of those things are frustrating when you're sitting you know, looking at, at government operating and some of the things they're doing. And, of course, they've got a majority. The, the people spoke. Yeah. They've got a majority. The but, other thing I read um, was that 28,000 people have moved from uh, B.C. to Alberta. The most yeah, we, ever. Yeah, I, I don't know what those numbers are exactly, but I have heard that a lot of people are moving to Alberta because they find it to be a lot more economical for them to not only live with the tax structure and whatnot they have there, but they pay less income tax. Yes. The services seem to be a little bit better over there. Yeah, and if you look um, at housing, it's much more affordable uh, over there. And But, you know, I, I always thought everybody was leaving other provinces to come to B.C. And when I read that people were, um, I say, immigrating, uh, migrating is the word they used. Migrating to Alberta, I was so shocked. Yeah, I don't know what the net numbers are at the end of the day because I do know that there's a large number of people immigrating from not only other provinces in Canada but other countries. But there's also a loss of, of people that have been residing in B.C. for quite some time that are leaving uh, for a variety of reasons. And uh so uh, what the net result might be at the end of the day, I don't know. They say there's about fifty to 70,000 people a year moving into the lower mainland. Holy moly. <laughs> how, with the housing situation, how is that? Like, I don't understand. I know that we need to take people in and we need to have immigration. But what's the plan about housing people? Well, their their plan, you know, they promised to build 114,000 homes uh, uh, in 2017 when they got elected, and they claimed they got 40, but uh, 40 odd thousand, but 25,000 of those were already built, and uh, so the net gain is only about 20,000 homes. But we need, according to I think it was CMHC, 
Um, we need about 500,000 new homes in British Columbia by the by 2050. And, uh, yeah, that's right. 570,000 homes, they said, yeah. built by the end of the decade. Yeah, so yeah. it's supply, you know, and supply and demand is, is one of the big catalysts for this whole thing here. But the other, the other side of it is we have to look at the amount of regulations that we have and the number of things that we have to do in order to build a home in British Columbia is, is it just bogs the whole system down. And I think that whole regime of, of, of requirements and, and, and legislation and whatnot needs to be looked at. Well, there's so many things that need to be looked at. I mean, we move, we're moving so fast in um, into our future, but our our government isn't keeping up with the younger people and their needs, and and because nobody's going to be able to work in the forest anymore, and uh, or a few people select. And so we need to, I was watching TV the other night, and they said more women than men are going to university. Well, these guys have got to get an education and get into the, the um, you know, the, the sci-fi stuff, because that's where we got to go. That's where they're going. Well, there's, yeah, there is that for sure. Um, you know, we need people in the trades too, just yeah. as much as we need people in the in the uh, sciences and uh, and whatnot. The other thing that and it has come to to light uh, with School District Fifty Seven, but I think it's predominant throughout the entire province is numeracy and literacy amongst our students. And are we preparing the students for the rigors of university and post secondary education? And I think we're not. And I think that's discouraging a lot of students from going in that direction because. They don't feel confident enough to move on. You know, I, I, you have a really good point there. Everybody um, that I know of, and I'm getting to be just as bad, I, I usually have a dictionary with me, um, a real one. But, uh, you know, you've got it right at your fingertips. You don't need to really think too much anymore. No. No, and, and I just, I read a, I don't know, it was on a social media poster where I saw it, but you know, we're developing into a society where we don't have contact with other human beings and there's no interface, there's no interpersonal reactions between everybody because you phone somebody and it's, not, it's a message on the line, leave a message and somebody will get back to you and or push various buttons or apply for whatever you need to apply for online. Um, it, it's, it's just we are separating ourselves from the day-to-day interactions with other people, which I think is problematic. Well, and I think it's depressing because when you do meet people, you get an energy. And just today, for example, um, I ran into Leo Hebert in the hospital and uh, his wife has had surgery and I was visiting someone and he recognized me with my mask on. And he said, Sharon, when are we all going to get together and meet face to face again? There's a lot of there's a lot of things we need to talk about in our community, and we're we're not getting face to face like we did before COVID. And I remember we used to have monthly meetings of all the services. And he's on a housing committee here in community, probably on a few other things. But it, it's true we are not talking to each other anymore. No, it, it is you know, and then you look at things like you know the, the government jobs that are being run from homes and from other communities, you know, the, the people in charge of 
different services in northern BC might be working and living in Nanaimo and have never been around Prince George or working in Vancouver and have never been around Prince George and you know the jobs are posted but nobody locally either is qualified or mm-hmm. is not applying for whatever reason so that needs to be addressed too like if you're going to work in Prince George and understand the culture and the socio-economic issues around central interior of the province um, you should be there yeah. so you can get around and talk to people. Well, and that goes for government. They, you know, they're making decisions for, um, well, that's where the MLAs come in, is to represent their communities. But then, if you're not listened to because you're not part of the the ruling class at the time, you're not being, like, I wonder what it's like to be in your shoes and Shirley's shoes, to, uh, you can say all you want, but whether the NDP wants to hear you or not, it, they don't have to care. Well, it's 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 the most, one of the most frustrating experiences that a person can endure. It's it's almost uh, more pleasant to poke yourself in the eye with a pencil sometimes, but it you know it is frustrating. We have to do it though. That's our job, and to try and and hold them to account, and we do it whether it's frustrating or not. Yeah, I just can't imagine. Well, um, I can I can sure understand why you're going to um, go off and be a grizzled old grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so. This this business of catch and release, how is that going to be changed? It's a terrible idea. Well, it, it is, you know, and again, it comes to, uh, I, I throw it right at the feet of the Premier, uh, David Eby, when he was Attorney General. Uh, it was a policy that he provided to prosecution services. Uh-huh. And, you know, they try to throw the ball back in the, the the arms of the federal government and the Supreme Court of Canada decisions and whatnot. And there is some uh, a slight validity to that, but there's nothing stopping the provincial government and the prosecution service from holding these people. They just need to ensure that the judges are seized with the information that, that depicts how bad this individual is. Mm-hmm. The other part of it, you know, is... is uh, you know, the Supreme Court comes out, and the, the the default position in Canada with Canadian law is that a person is innocent until they're proven guilty. Mm-hmm. But I have to look, look at it this way. You know, if somebody has, you know, 300 convictions over the course of the last 10 or 20 years, and uh, they've had, and those are the convictions, those aren't the interactions with the police. They've been arrested numerous times. Uh, they've got a significant record. I don't think we can presume mm-hmm. they're innocent. You know, and I go mm-hmm. back to my HR days when I was interviewing people for various jobs. Mm-hmm. I would base a lot of of their credibility and their abilities based on behaviors from before. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the court should be looking at and say, "Well, listen, buddy, you know, you you, you know, we, we're not expecting a guilty plea from you today." Yeah. You've got a track record here of serious assaults and drug trafficking and this and that and the other thing. Um, we're going to have to hold you because uh, we don't trust you anymore. Yeah. Until such time as we get this through the system. So common sense, well, common sense has no place in law, as I was once informed by a judge, <laughs> and, which is unfortunate sometimes, but he's right. You know, we do, we operate under the letter of the law in Canada. Yeah, but facts. There are provisions. The, the prosecutors can ensure that the judges have all the information, and the police give that information to the prosecutors. Yes. It's just that they're so overloaded sometimes, they just whistle through those files very quickly and 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 then there they are at it again now weren't you asking for a, a special prosecutor for those um people i was yeah. yeah i've been asking for it to, so 
Back when I was a Solicitor General, um, I added a couple more teams to the Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit, which is a combined unit of all the different police departments in B.C. So I, I, we put another $25 million into it from my budget. And uh, with that also, I appointed a special prosecutor in to work out of Surrey to deal with nothing but the gang members. Right. And I think that worked quite well. They were informed they understood who they were dealing with all the time. Mm-hmm. But that same thing needs to happen with every location where we have, you know, 20 or 30 prolific offenders uh-huh. that are always showing up in court. The police are always dealing with them. And the prosecutors, uh, whether it takes one or two or three to deal with that number of offenders, I don't know. But they need to learn those files inside out. Yes. How many times they've been arrested, how many days they've been in jail over the past 20, you know, two years or five years or whatever the case is every little detail about that individual so they can present it to the judge yeah. and, the, and make an informed decision on whether to hold them or not. And then, if the if the individual is released at the end of the day, after all this information is provided to the judge, and and then appeal the, the release, you know, mm-hmm. appeal it so that we can take all of this back to the Supreme Court one day, build a good case, take it back to the Supreme Court and say, um, you know, Madam Justice or whoever the chair might be at the time, this isn't working. We cannot presume that people that have been convicted 37 times in the last two years for yeah. robbery and assaults and whatnot are innocent until proven guilty. We need to provide deference to their previous behavior and hold them in custody until such times is dealt with expediously by the court. And these these people need... Um the, the re- repeat offenders need some kind of special... Um you know, like I remember, Alouette Unit used to, River Unit used to be for people who committed crimes under the influence, mm-hmm. and and then they've changed over to a women's correction center. Now I don't know what it is now, but you know, there there these are people who punishment isn't going to change anything. No, no it's not. It, it's you know, I, I think the solution is is. It's not easy, but the solution to me is clear, is that if we were to build um, regional addictions uh, treatment and recovery centers in places like Prince George's, Kamloops, Colville, Terrace, maybe, you know, I don't know where they should all be. Mm-hmm. And if we were able to provide psychiatric uh, regional treatment centers as well for those people that have endured so many overdoses from fentanyl or crystal meth or whatever mm-hmm. the drugs might be, that they have an acquired brain injury that just gets progressively worse, yep. that we can treat those individuals until they're capable of either supporting themselves or, or being supported with a wraparound service. Yes. I think if we did that, we would eliminate 60, 70, 80% of the crime on the streets. Wouldn't and we? Yep. the police would be free to do what they're supposed to do is all these proactive patrols. They would be able to do technically elegant criminal investigations because they wouldn't be overloaded with all the extraneous uh, social justice issues that they deal with on a regular basis. Yeah, that would be the answer. Now, how do we get the momentum? Well, I think uh, the momentum, you got to vote in a government that will do that. Yeah. uh, And not just kick the can down the road. There's no money in the capital budget for the foreseeable future for this government to build anything like that. So, And and they should have had you know, a couple of billion dollars set aside to rebuild Riverview and to rebuild these these uh, psychiatric centers and treatment centers right across the province here because that's going to take, 
you know, what is it, three, four, five years to put the bricks and mortar together? Yeah. During that same period of time, they should also be investing in psych nurse programs, in addiction treatment programs for for the technicians that are required, for the medical uh, professionals that are required, because it's going to take five or six or seven or eight years to train those folks, too. Yeah, and, and there's a, uh, a shortage of psychiatrists for the prisons, um, as it is now. And uh, we need to be encouraging people to, you know, go into university and get a degree. Uh, these are all good plans that uh, some very intelligent people are talking about right now, but nobody else is listening to us. <laughs> no, and, and the other problem is is to go into that field with no um, no vision of of things being better in the future is really tough. Like, who wants to be a psych nurse? In, in an overloaded, overworked, yeah. overpopulated hospital somewhere where they just can't do the work that they're trained to do yeah. in a positive way, yeah. Yeah, and um, there was a book uh, written called uh, The uh, Sociopath Next Door, and it, it uh, said that 33% of the Americans are sociopaths. And I'm thinking, like, where does that come from? I can't remember. I did read the book a couple of times, but I can't remember. Oh, it was to do with parenting, I think, and with social media and the lack of um, bonding was part of it. And uh, and I just automatically thought that, oh, that's Trump's base, 33%. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyhow, I know this is... um, a subject close to your heart and my heart too is trying to help people get off of uh, um, having to steal for their their uh, habit, and there just doesn't see. There was a will a long time ago to look after it, and so maybe that will will come back again. Well, I hope so. We have to have the infrastructure in place to support that. Uh, you know, uh, you know, people don't go down the road of becoming drug addicts in a purposeful way they just they they had a a moment of sadness or an incident of distress or trauma and and they they, you know they'll get drunk or they'll take drugs or whatever to to avoid that feeling and then it just morphs into something bigger particularly now with the advent of fentanyl and carfentanyl and and all horrendous drugs that have made this so much worse and then the other thing that we we've lost sight of is that drugs are bad. Yeah. We don't see government advertising out there, you know, leave drugs alone, like crystal meth and the, the paranoia and the acquired brain injury and all those other things that are associated with that. We don't hear that. No, we don't. You know, talk, people talk about the overdoses, the deaths that we have, which is, which is tragic, you know, when about seven people a day are dying in B.C., but there's tens of thousands of people that have acquired brain injury as a result of a fentanyl overdoses and carfentanyl and, and all the other drugs that they've been taking, and it gets progressively worse until they can't function uh, on the street anymore because they just don't have the, the wherewithal and the capabilities to do that. That's but right. Yet we leave them on the streets. Yeah. That, well, the way that things are being dealt with is really criminal. Um, Mike, we're going to have to take a short break. So come back in just a second and we'll be right back with Mike Morris. If you're looking for those long forgotten rock songs, then tune in to Beneath the Grooves with Jenny and BC Kid every Saturday night at 8 for deep cut rock tracks from the 60s to the 80s. 
Hear from well-known artists like the Moody Blues and the Alan Parsons Project, as well as obscure acts like Sugarloaf and Madrigal. It's the band you love, but the songs you've forgotten on Beneath the Grooves. Saturday nights at 8 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. The Prince George Potters Guild is hosting Triad Wheel Throwing Nights again this year. It's your chance to throw multiple bowls throughout the evening, then choose one masterpiece to keep, which the instructor will finish and glaze for you. Cost is $50 per person and includes instruction and clay, plus glaze and firing for one bowl. Registration and more details are available through the program's link at studio2880.com. The next Triad Wheel Throwing Night from the Prince George Potters Guild is Wednesday. Forecast from Environment Canada for today, mainly sunny, a high of 6. Tonight, clear, becoming partly cloudy near midnight, wind up to 15K, a low of minus 8. On Wednesday, a mix of sun and cloud, wind from the southeast 20, gusting to 40 in the afternoon, and a high again of 6. You're listening to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back with Mike Morris. Mike, uh, a few weeks ago, I, I had Anthony Britniff on uh, mm-hmm. as a interview and and so he he mentioned you and uh, and I wanted to talk about getting the balance right and your experience of uh, touring the forests of British Columbia and how you made some recommendations that I don't know if they were listened to or not but we're in kind of a mess right now and I just wanted to shine a, a light on what you learned while you were traveling, uh, traversing British Columbia. Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. And uh, Anthony is a very knowledgeable man when it comes to what's going on out there, too. He's got a long history there. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you know, back in oh, even the late 90s, uh, I remember making presentations to government on my concern over the cumulative impacts of resource development, particularly forest harvesting, because it's 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 uh, the most uh, in, impactful. And uh, and then when I left the RCMP and and became the president of the BC Trappers Association, I made a couple of presentations to the BC Liberal government in the early two thousands on my concerns as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got elected in twenty thirteen, I. Uh, um, I made a presentation to my caucus, and I've made presentations to my caucus every year on my concerns over the loss of biodiversity and whatnot. But in, in 2014, uh, Christy Clark appointed me as a parliamentary secretary to forestry and asked me to do a review of wildlife of, uh, habitat right, right across the province. So I did. I, I traveled for the better part of a year. Um, actually, before I traveled, I... I did a literature review of all the legislation, of uh, uh, numerous reports uh, that government had collected over the years, biological reports, forestry reports. And then I, I, I traveled the country, and I had a lot of helicopter time uh, in the remote areas of the province. I touched down in a lot of the different areas to look at things actually on the ground. And I was quite shocked that, you know, I, I guess I was naive enough to think that the cumulative impacts were the worst just in the area that I, I trapped and hunted and fished in for the last 50 years. Yeah. And, uh, I was shocked to see that it was right across the entire province. Uh, you know, we saw vast areas of habitat lost right across the province here. And, and one of the, the questions that I, I asked today and, and I've asked over the years is, you know, when you go to somebody and you say, what happens to the wildlife that inhabit an area that is being logged. Yeah. So you've got 100 hectares that you're going to clear-cut. 
what happens to the habitat in that area or to the wildlife in that area. And people kind of look at me like, what do you mean? What happens to them? They run away and hide. Yeah. Well, no, they don't. They die. Yeah. They either die in the logging process or they go into another area of, unfo- of unlogged uh, habitat. But the animals will fight to the death to protect their food source and their, their, their lifestyle in there. Mm-hmm. And if they don't run there, they'll run into another area where there's no habitat and they'll become food for something else or they will just die of starvation. So when you look at that and multiply it by the 10 or 20 or 30 million hectares that we've logged over the past uh, uh, 50 years, um, the wildlife loss is significant. So my report, I, I talked about, and in this current government has, you know, they read my report, obviously, and I see them implementing a few of the ideas I have. They put a different name on it, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the planning tables, uh, community planning tables, uh, landscape level planning, uh, watershed level planning, all those those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. The other part was that we needed to, um, or one of the other recommendations, that we, we need to consider biodiversity as a value. We have for so long now, since you know we started logging in, in this country uh, prior to 1900, um, we have only looked at fiber, and I really don't like that term. We've only looked at wood, and uh, and still yeah. today that is the focus of the registered professional foresters or the forest companies and whatnot is only looking at the wood. But the forest is much more. It's, it, it needs to be looked at in a complete lens to understand exactly what it means from a hydrological perspective, from a biodiversity, ecological perspective, and how all those parts play together because, you know, a part affects the whole and a whole affects the parts. So uh, my recommendations were around that to try and get everybody to look at the entire value of the forest, um, what it means, you know, the people have no idea what evapotranspiration is or the transpirational value of a tree bringing the water out of the ground, and then mm-hmm. 50% or more of that is evaporated to keep it cool in the, in the, in the bush you know, under the tree canopy, and that provides moisture for plant life and insects and animals, and it's all part of the entire food chain. So mm-hmm. that's what I looked at, and that's what I've been pushing for ever since because it is just completely ignored. Uh, since I put my report in in 2014, 2015, we've probably logged you know 200,000 hectares a year for the last uh, eight eight or nine or ten years. So. Well, yeah, what I read was in the last four, year, four years, 1.8 million cubic meters of timber. And and you said, or what I read, was that they never led, left any seed trees. Well, and that's, you know, we, we have these large nurseries that are providing uh, nursery-raised uh, seedlings, of, you know, mm-hmm. and it, my trap line is quite big in the sky. It's in a in a wet belt with a lot of spruce and balsam. But they log the spruce and balsam out, and then they plant these these nursery uh, lodgepole pine mm-hmm. very densely within the area that used to be predominantly spruce and, uh, and balsam. And and the pine are growing, except that they're planted so close together that there's no there's nothing growing on the ground. The ground is very acidic from the needles and pine cones falling on the ground. Mm-hmm. And, and we can't practice some of the old methods of of uh, selective uh, or burning. Uh, yes, fires just because it's so dense, it just you can't control it, and it just gets out of it, it gets out of hand. There's no birds in there. Uh, mm-hmm. We have lost so many bird species because they rely on deciduous growth, and for the most part, we have 81 species of wildlife in BC that den or nest in tree cavities. 
and the cellar bunchers cut down all the tree cavities when they go through and make the clear cut. So there's no habitat left for them to return to. Oh. Yeah, it, it said there's no moose, raptors, goshawks. I even forgot about goshawks. I oh, totally forgot about them. Yeah, no, they. I used to see them all the time, and and I would get the odd one in a, as an incidental catch when I was trapping back in the '80s, and I changed my methods to avoid catching them because they're such a beautiful bird. And yeah. the, the trapping, you know, when I did catch them, it was in a type of trap that you could release them. Uh-huh. And, and let them go, and, and same, you know, great horned owls, gray owls, the number of raptors that we had at that time were, were tremendous, which is the other issue, and, uh, you know, I put about 10,000 kilometers on in the last five or six years driving through the Prince George and Mackenzie Timber Supply Area, mm-hmm. and I was looking for tree uh, stick nests, so the nests that the owls and the goshawks and, and those kinds of raptors use, because under the Wildlife Act, it's illegal to cut those down, you mm-hmm. can't believe them mm-hmm. and i haven't found a one and i know that there were dozens and dozens of those nests out there because they're used every year how how over harvesting like where was the oversight on this that uh, so much damage has been done it was just about money well, it, it was it was a combination of things. The legislation allowed this to happen under the Forest and Range Practices Act, and and there was, you know, there wasn't the level of oversight uh, that was necessary. Uh, for an example, you know, I've asked for, um, I've asked government, the forestry office in Prince George, for uh, hydrological assessments that they've done for a couple of the major water systems in Prince George and mm-hmm. in the timber supply area, and nothing, none of it has been done. Yet the the removal of forest cover is so critical to the hydrological integrity of the land base. You'd think that that was something that have their fingertips on right away. And that, you know, one of the areas is where you live, the Sherlocko River area. Yeah. And uh, you know, I I looked into that because I've talked to you and just about every other resident out there over the years, and they're yeah. concerned over that. And uh, so I, I found out that there was a hydrological assessment done way back in the 90s that determined that the, we call it the equivalent clear-cut area that hydrologists use to determine, um, you know, how much uh, land can be cut. Mm-hmm. But uh, the hydrological, or the ECA level for the Shellacco watershed was at 90% in the late, night, or in the, in the early, mid-2000s. Uh-huh. And in, it, because it's a fish-bearing watershed, it, it could only go to a maximum of 25%. So I got a hold of the licensees working in the area, and they did their own assessment and confirmed, yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they carried on logging after that as well. No, nobody stopped them. Government no, didn't stop them. The district manager didn't stop them. So Yeah, they're still hauling logs out of there. Um, I have to take a short break, and we'll be back and talk about this sad subject. <laughs> the Spruce City Lions Club has a Recycle for Sight collection box at the Seniors Resource Center. Drop off no longer used prescription and non-prescription glasses, sunglasses and readers, even if they're broken. Donated glasses will be cleaned, categorized by prescription, and prepared for distribution to people in developing countries. Used hearing aids are also being accepted. The Spruce City Lions Club Recycle for Sight collection box in the new Seniors Resource Center, 1330 Fifth Avenue. 
Get acquainted with your Arts North Digital Center, the Community Tech Resource Facility, by taking in an upcoming orientation session and learn how the space can help you with your creative tech needs. See what's available, how to use the equipment, and enjoy the creative atmosphere. Sessions for the Photography Bay and Graphics Design Studio are set for noon, April 11th and 18th, respectively, with tours of those and the Podcast Center available Saturday, April 15th. To sign up for this free orientation session, email arts at studio2880.com. You're listening to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back with Mike Morris, and we're talking about uh, our forests. And, Mike, I read that um, I think it was you that said to replace the current volume-based approach with an ecology-based model. Yes. It, it, you know, we everything is based on volume today. The, 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 that, that's the business model of the forest sector, and it's it's all they basically understood over the last several decades. We didn't start um, clear cut logging until the mid '60s. Up to that time, as it was select harvesting, and they would go in and pick the various trees. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to go back to that, yeah. and, and instead of saying that we are allowed to cut X number of volume per year. We need to look at it from a area-based uh, perspective, number one, so that people have an interest. If they over-harvest, then they're not going to have anything. Right. But also from that ecological base, so how do we balance the wildlife populations uh, within that respective area? How do we balance the, the evapotranspirational area, the, the hydrological integrity of that particular land base? How do we ensure that the all the existing flora and fauna is going to remain, you know, can can we bring it down to 60%, 50%, 75%? I don't know. There needs to be some scientific uh, input into that so that we can determine exactly how we log. We wouldn't have to worry about protected areas in B.C. if we adopted this ecological approach and we had a chief ecologist rather than a chief forester determining how we log and where we log and when we log, quite frankly, because that's the other part is if you log in a certain time of year when all the mammals are having young, uh, you jeopardize the future of those young uh, in, by harvesting. And I remember the, the, it used to be shut down. The bush used to be shut down during that time of year. Yeah, no, it used to be. And uh, they've developed, you know, there, there's things that they can put on the ground to keep from uh, making a mess and keeping the, the, the machinery so that they're not digging the ground up. But the other factor of this is the, the Migratory Bird Convention Act is a treaty that the U.S., Canada, and Mexico signed back uh, over 100 years ago now. And basically there's an appendix in there that, that says that you cannot disturb a nest um, uh, or any eggs in British Columbia from May until August. Yeah. And uh, and yet we see all kinds of activity on the forest sector logging without checking to make sure there, there's nests. And uh, I've got some research that uh, I think I quote in my, one of my reports there that estimates that we lose about 400,000 bird nests every year <sighs> as a result of logging during that period of time. And I think that's had a drastic effect on the song, songbirds and, uh, um, you know, a lot of the other animals that den or nest in these tree cavities and, and whatnot as well. And uh, um, I know... Everybody's saying, well, I need a job, but if they don't take care of things, they're not going to have a job. This is, this is very similar to, uh, you know, what I say, the, the Atlantic fishery. Like everybody, right. you know, we've got lots of cod fishers or fishermen out there, and 
and uh, and we'll have cod forever. But quite frankly, they ran out. That's where we are now. Yes, we are at a point in time, and I think we're going to see this over the next couple of years, where the GDP contributions of the forest sector will be down around maybe a half a percent, mm-hmm. just because we are out of harvestable trees. Mm-hmm. The employment level uh, within the forest sector as well has gone down significantly. It's dropped 50% in the last uh, 15 or 20 years. It's going to drop even more, as we see with all these mill closures uh, taking place right now. So the, the, the number of people employed in the forest sector will be the lowest it has been probably in perhaps a century. I don't know. Right. I, I've never looked at the numbers that far back. So I think this is the time, you know, when we see the nexus of all these things coming together at this particular time, this is the time to change our business model and our approach because it will have the least impact on people uh, now and into the future. Well, and the idea of living in this area is because of the lakes and the forests and the wildlife. And, um, and we're losing that by not paying attention and holding people accountable well, it, 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 you know, there's several of us that are trying to uh, influence that particular paradigm. Yes. But it's, you know, when we've had people with their, I just call it like it is, that we've had our head buried in that forestry bucket for 100 years, and people don't see anything other than forestry for the value of the tree. It's only a two-by-four when it is much, much more. There's a um, hydrologist that I've talked to a little bit in the last little while uh, with UBC, Yunus um, Alila. He's uh, works in the Faculty of Forestry. He's done some work in the Quinella area and well throughout the province here, but, but he is coming out with some very startling statistics saying that it takes about 85 years for a tree to grow back in the southern interior of the province to a point where it's providing the roughly the same amount of protection from the sun's radiation and the snow melt and everything else uh, that it did before the trees were cut down. Mm-hmm. If we look at just south of Quinell, between Quinell and, and Burns Lake and, and, uh, and Prince George, yeah. that whole area there, the most of the wood is about 45, well, not even most of it, the, the, a lot of the wood is 45 years, but I think 40% of the of the um, of the, the trees are 15 years and younger. Yeah, be young to provide any level of protection from the radiation, the sun, and, and the hydrological protection that they need. So that, all that needs to be looked at. Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, when I went to high school in science class, we were taught about trees and leaves and. Um, the importance of trees. And my grandfather taught us about selective logging and about the importance of the trees and that they were living, um, breathing. They gave us oxygen and all kinds of wonderful things. But I don't know if they teach that anymore. doesn't sound like it. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know what uh, how it happened. And, you know, I, I reviewed, I read every single Royal Commission on Forestry that has been written. I've read all the, the supporting documentation uh, and the final reports and whatnot. And to me, it kind of went off the rails in 1945 when the, the commissioner of the day said that we are going to adopt a sustainable yield strategy where we can just keep cutting wood because it's always going to go, go you know, always going to go back. Yeah don't have to consider the other values on the land. I'm paraphrasing there. Yeah. And morphed from that, which I call an incomplete strategy, but it's morphed into more of an ideology now. And when you listen to uh, professional foresters and the forest sector and government and everybody else talk about it, everything is focused on the tree. 
Yes. There's nothing about any of the other valleys on the land. It's sort of like a sidebar discussion, and it's something that they don't want to talk about in great detail because, uh, just because. <laughs> yeah. Mike, we're going to take a short break, and then we'll come back and, and talk about this being your last terms. Okay. Okay. Life Before the Pulp Mills from your Council of Seniors is a unique look at the early years of Prince George. The Goat Island Swimming Hole and Pier, the Old Army Hospital, and Making Do During World War II. It's a look back using the words of past Prince George residents such as the Peckhams, Ollingers, Kerskys, and others. Our city in the 40s, 50s, and early 60s comes alive for just $20. Life Before the Pulp Mills, available at the new Council of Seniors Resource Center, 1330 5th Avenue. If you don't know a pawn from a pickle or a gambit from a gazebo, the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library is the place to be on Wednesday, April 12th. Every second Wednesday, the library offers an intro to chess, where you can learn the basics of the game and hone your skills. It's a free, all-ages, drop-in event running from 5.30 to 7 every second Wednesday. So whether your aim is to become a grandmaster or just be able to push the pieces around in a game with friends, check out the intro to chess, Wednesday, April 12th from 5.30 to 7 at your Prince George Public Library. Forecast from Environment Canada for today, mainly sunny, a high of 6. Tonight, clear, becoming partly cloudy near midnight. Wind up to 15K, a low of minus 8. On Wednesday, a mix of sun and cloud. Wind to the southeast 20, gusting to 40 in the afternoon, and a high again of 6. This is Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS FM. So, Mike, you're going to go back into the bush with the no hydro, outdoor plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> and no other human sound around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I understand, um, you know, that peace and serenity, you earned it. Uh, yeah, uh, and I know it's there, so it's always been beckoning me in the background. Yeah, and you've got some grandkids to teach. I do, yeah, and there's uh, they're looking forward to granddad taking them out fishing and trapping and hunting and uh Canoeing and all the other good stuff. Oh, and teach them how to uh, get their second wind. You know, my dad taught me that. What they call oh, going yeah. through the wall now. And he taught me how to change positions and stuff when you're swimming a long distance. Mm-hmm. So that uh, you can go a mile or so, which is what he used to swim seven miles in, in uh, Lake Ontario to get ready for the races in the Canadian National Exhibition. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to teach those kids how to go through the the uh, the wall. Now, I don't think this was probably an easy decision, but I I was thinking about um, Chris and you know what a uh, trooper she has been to be married to you, moving fourteen times, being in the RCMP at call probably twenty four seven. And then going into this, and she still stays with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. It'll be um, 45 years um, on Saturday. Yeah, and I was thinking about Friday. the type of woman, and, and she's a nurse. And yeah. and those are the kind of women who kind of don't have unreasonable expectations, I think. Well, it, it's, you know, it's typical uh, when you're a young police officer, and back in the days that I joined, you couldn't be married, so... Uh, oh, you come into right. the community, and and you just seem to uh, find uh, your age uh, females around, and uh, it's like up a 
relationship and uh, the police end up marrying nurses and teachers and all those folks that were providing those public services as well. And then have sons that go into the RCMP and daughters that work in, or daughter-in-laws that work in social work or for the RCMP. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I want to thank you for all you've done, Mike, and, and uh, um, I'm sorry that we're losing you from that, but now you'll be free to speak without having to be polite. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it, yeah. I'm always polite. But, uh, I know. I, know. Well, so, I learned how to handle people, that's why. <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know, I, I may be leaving politics, uh, whatever the next election's called, but uh, I'm still going to be a proud member of the Prince George and the Prince George area, and uh, we'll always be kicking around and uh, doing whatever I need to do. Well, and let's uh, get together with a bunch of other people and, and start uh, marching for the forests. <laughs> thanks, Mike, and okay. thanks for doing this. Thanks for giving us your time. You bet. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. We'll take a short break and have our next guest. The Prince George Potters Guild is hosting a class on surface decorating with slips and underglazes on Sunday, June 18th. The class will introduce students to decorating with slips, underglazes, transferring patterns, slip trailing, painting, carving, and building layers. Led by Karen Heathman, cost is $65 with registration available on the Potters Guild webpage under programs at studio2880.com. Surface decorating with slips and underglazes, Sunday, June 18th from 1 to 4 at the Prince George Potters Guild. The Elder Citizens Recreation Association is home to a wide variety of activities. Card players can take part in canasta, cribbage, and whist. The musically inclined can join the ukulele group or the Forever Young Choir. And for those with an artistic flair, there's a craft group. Staying active is easy with yoga, tai chi, carpet bowling, and more. There's also a special birthday tea each month. Open Monday through Friday, excluding holidays. Stop by the Elder Citizens Recreation Center on 10th between Vancouver and Winnipeg for more information. You're listening to Senior Moments on 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back, and my microphone was way up high. And I'm going to introduce you to a special guy who runs a little store here in the in the uh, studio. His name is Ron Mensowich. That's uh, right. Yeah, That's bring that microphone right up to you. Yeah. Pull right up, Ron. And so I've always been kind of interested in your little corner of the world, Ron. Um, what brought you into having a store that has everything and anything in it. Well, <laughs> that's a good question. Believe it or not, I was the first one on my block back in the 80s and the 90s to have a yard sale oh. in my area. Uh-huh. That's a true, that's the truth. In Vancouver on 41st and in between Victoria and Knight, I was the first one on my block to have a yard sale. I, I figured I'd give it a go, you know. And <laughs> son of a gun, it was, um, there was people lined up just waiting to get in, you know. So uh, that's how I started. And, and they say it, one person's junk is another, another person's, person's treasure. treasure. That's absolutely right. That's and absolutely what's the name right. of your store? Ron's Hole in the Wall. Hole in the Wall. Oh, Ron's boy. Ron's Hole in the Wall. Okay. Everybody knows me here in print. Well, I would say a lot of people know me here in Prince George. Yeah. I was up on the hard highway up there for several years, and I was on 4th Avenue uh-huh. at Butler's Market. I'll mention them, if it's okay with oh, you. Oh, for sure, yeah. For, for several for years. Yeah. yeah, for several years. And uh, now, you know, I met Reg, and um, 
uh, it's all history now. I've been here now for, I guess, going on two years I've been here now with uh, really? Reg here. We've gone soul in the wall. Well, it's funny because people come in to see me, but they end up over your little place, and and even Eric you know, he comes in to do the show. Yeah, he's one of my favorite people. Him and I, I mean, we start talking politics. Oh, oh, by the way, it's a hard act to follow just now, you know, with, with, Mike. with Mike Morris. You know, I'm sorry to hear him go away. You know, it's a, you put me in a spot, Sharon. <laughs> he's well, like, you know. But, but Mike would only be the same as you. I Mike know, doesn't I see know. himself as any different yeah, from anybody I else. I understand yeah. that. I know that. You yeah. know. But I'm just kidding when I said you put me in a hard spot. That's <laughs> all right. I enjoy listening to your program all the time so now what do you take um do people come in and sell you things oh no 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 if anybody wants me to sell you know to sell something for them i have to know them i have to know them right uh uh i can when i first started up here you know i had a few people come up and wanted me to buy things off and i said i didn't know them from adam a you know i don't do that i don't do that the stuff i get the stuff i I have dvds cds uh i got no more records left i sold them all a couple of weeks ago i had one one a nice couple came in and they bought my whole record collection i had 78s 33s 45s they bought the whole work so i've got no records for the time being but i will be getting some pretty soon Uh, but i have everything from soup to nuts and pretty soon i'm going to have the kitchen sink <laughs> Believe me, I'm going to have the kitchen sink. Too bad the soon. plumber took mine away with him. <laughs> yeah, I would have tried to sell it for you on a commission basis. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding you, Sharon, you know. So, but you have a good book collection Oh, I've got there. a wonderful book collection. I've yeah. got everything there, you know. I I have some autographed books by have the you? authors. Yes, I have yeah. about 10 or 15 autographed books by the authors. Um, I was donated uh, about six or eight months ago. I was donated about 500 books. From one of the major book um, collectors here in Prince George, he asked, oh. you know he was going to somehow he wanted he he retired, yeah, and uh, he asked me if I would like his collection. I said, of course. So so. Uh, uh, the only stipulation was I had to go and pick him up. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that's not so bad. That's is not it? so bad. No, no it's no. in Prince George, and I get books donated to me all the time. I'll take books in from anybody. If uh, if uh, you want to bring me five books, if it's one book for one book, you can have the run of my store and take what you want. And, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, you have some lovely china there. Oh, too. I've got some nice china. I've yeah. got some nice china. There, you know, and nothing is chipped or cracked or anything anything that's um yeah it's all chipped like, or cracked yeah. that i won't use in my house i won't sell to you or anybody yeah, else you yeah. know and uh, and so you so you're open mostly all week long and saturdays yes yes i am i'm open uh theoretically i'm supposed to own uh, i'm advertised for tuesday to saturday but i'm here on mondays uh, you know <laughs> I, you know I, I can't stay away from the place yeah. you know? well you like people <laughs> and, like and people. this is this is a way of getting people to come into your place. That's that's right. Here. And yeah, so you yeah. made a few notes. So oh, what well, was it you yeah, wanted to uh, talk uh, about? Um, about the community market here on Quebec and Third. I think most people know about the community market here on on on, on, on Quebec and Third. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to just um, maybe mention a couple of people. Uh, uh, we have between ten and fifteen regular vendors on on saturday here you know we've got my hole in the wall of course you know and then yeah. we have barbara's books and we have laura she sells uh homemade chocolates which is the oh. best in prince george uh kelly she sells um homemade popcorn and you know homemade popcorn and um 
peanut brittle and things oh like my. that. Hey, you oh. know, Dora, she, she has uh, dog treats. She sells dog treats. She's very, very well known here in Prince George. Of course, Norman's Coins. Yeah. Norm's Coins. Everybody knows Norm. <laughs> you know, we have the jewelry ladies, Lifehan and Maya. Yeah. They're here every Saturday. There's some of the best collection of jewel of, uh, of uh, jewelry that you can think of. Uh, you know, AJ, of course, is yeah. here on Saturdays. Yeah, selling you memberships. Know, sell, selling memberships. <laughs> AJ, you know, everybody yeah. knows AJ, uh, you know. Yeah. Then we have Jorgen. Jorgen, there, you know, he does the mushrooms. He, he, oh, he, so he, he, magic uh, mushrooms? Ma- no, not magic. <laughs> well, there's been a few people ask for them, but I don't think he handles that. But just no. whatever other, oh, but every other kind mushrooms. of mu- fresh mushrooms. Oh. There, you know, yep. Then we have Susan and Wayne. Mm-hmm. We have Susan and Wayne. They do the seafood. They do the oh, seafood really? there. You know, they, you know, they come from Cornell. They have fresh su- seafood that they picked up in Prince Rupert and places oh, like I that. Didn't eh? know you know, that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, y- you know, um, uh, uh, we're still open for the odd new vendor that comes in. Um, uh, we can put them, uh, we can set them up. We have an um, odd table, yeah. one or two tables for rent that we keep to one side in case latecomers come in on Saturday morning. There, you know, if yeah. anybody wants a table, they can come in seven o'clock Saturday morning. I'm here on Saturday mornings, yeah. here, you know, and and um, we deal with them on Saturday mornings. You there, don't you know. have anybody making candy floss, uh, do you? I I'm not. Too sure whether Kelly, yeah. Kelly, no, we don't have no ice cream. Yeah. Kelly could possibly make candy. I'm not too sure there yeah. about candy yeah. floss. Because you know. the kids love that yeah. stuff. Well, you know, so yeah. do I. I just wanted to mention that uh, AJ sells memberships for CFIS. Oh, oh yes, yes. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For a CFIS <laughs> FM there, you know. Just a greatest a membership to anything. Come see AJ. <laughs> the best radio station in Prince George, by the way. Yeah, you, you know, yeah. You know, yeah. I forgot to say that. <laughs> you know. Thank you for and so saying that. What did you do before you retired? Oh, I worked construction all my life. I was. Oh, I they need you back out yeah. there. <laughs> well, um, I had a chance to go back, but I said no. I says, you know, like I've been retired now for close to twenty years. Oh, you know? have you? I took early retirement. You oh know? my goodness! Um, I'm also um, uh, just like a seal. I'm a trained caregiver too. Eh? You know, I took yeah. training in Vancouver. I was a caregiver for approximately ten years. Eh? You know, oh, so, were you? Okay. So, uh, I did that there, you know, and then I, I moved to Prince George here. Like, um, I met my wife in Vancouver, but it's so ironic. She was from Prince George, uh, not from Prince George, from, from Smithers. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but she went to college here up the hill. Yeah. She went to college here, you know, and I met her in Prince, in uh, Vancouver there. And, but I've been coming up here since the sixties. My oh. sisters lived up here all of her, okay. you know, and all of her married life when she first got married. So I'm quite familiar with Prince George. I bought some property here years and years ago, and then after my wife passed away, I got sick and tired of the um, uh, uh, city down there. Yeah. And I decided oh, I to come imagine. up here to God's country up here, yeah. you know. And uh, Don't tell people that. No, I, 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 I too many to keep, people. I, I try and keep it a secret, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people ask me where I come from. I say Burnaby, or or, or, or where I live. I tell them Burnaby. Yeah. Let me go to Burnaby. Leave Prince George alone. <laughs> well, I was talking to Mike, and and some of the things I looked at. Twenty eight thousand people have migrated from Prince George to or BC mm-hmm. to Alberta. To Alberta, yes, yeah. yes So I that's twenty eight thousand gone. Yeah, and I think there's twenty eight thousand coming 000. in. Uh, I mean, there's, I know people who who want to move up here. You know, like my kids, my granddaughter, um, my son. They love it here. Yeah, they love it here. But it's a um, it's their work. 
Yeah, it's their that's job, right. Eh? What it's keeps their job, you? Eh? you know, yeah. it, it keeps them going there. You know? Are you? A, you're, so you're a BC boy. Oh yeah, yeah, I was born and raised in Vancouver. Oh, for heaven's sake! <laughs> Went so. to school, got married, worked all my life in Vancouver, yeah. and once I retired, I moved up here. Now you're having fun. Um, I guess close to. 20 years ago. Yeah. My wife passed away in 04, and oh. I came up here in 07. Oh, okay. I came up yeah. here in 07. And, how, and when did you get Blondie? Oh, everybody knows Blondie. That's our mascot <laughs> here. Blondie's 11 years old. And wow. I got her from the time I could put her in the palm of my oh, hands. The, yeah. you know, and she's our little mascot yeah, here. Yeah, she I is. Mean, yeah. uh, no wonder she's getting, I, getting you know, a little fat. I said to Wayne, have you seen your treats I brought you, yeah. Wayne? Oh, not only you, Sharon, everybody. I mean, she is so spoiled since I started to bring her up here. You know, she is so spoiled. Everybody knows her. But she's know. such a good little yeah, dog. That's you a, know? Yeah, oh, she's so friendly. Um, one of these days I'm going to bring my three cats up here, okay? Yeah, do it. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your biggest seller? Books, um, do you think, or um, yes, that's that's a good that's a good question. Books, DV, I, I sell quite a bit of DVDs. Do you believe it or not? Yeah, and I just got a collection of believe this or not VHSs. I've got about five hundred VHSs Those at home. Big old fat. The big old fashioned ones. <laughs> Somebody gave them to me, you know, so they're in excellent condition. So in case anybody's looking for VHS, get a hold of me at Ron's Hole in the Wall. Are they blank? No, they're all the big movies, uh, all the big movies up to about 10 years ago. All the lots of Walt Disney. Oh yeah, lots of Walt Disney it's and stuff. Do you, uh, <laughs> you really want me to say on air? <laughs> no, 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 but I no. do have a player that I yeah. could give you. So. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've got two of them at home too. Eh? I've got two of them at home, but they're not hooked up, unfortunately. Eh? But I'm going to hook them up. I wonder what the '78s. Do you remember uh, the '78 records? Mm-hmm. Who they, were they? Jazz or were they? Bing they were Crosby all, all, all all kinds of um, old time. What do you call genres? I guess uh, you know Bing Crosby. Lots of Bing Crosby. Lots of the old ones. Al Jolson. I had some Al Jolson. Oh my gosh! And some some. a couple came in about two or three weeks ago, and they scrutinized it. They Do you went know how much it. those would be worth to a yeah. collector? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, like I gave them a good deal. I gave them a good deal, yeah. and they bought the whole works. Wow. Eh, you know, you know, along with some DVDs also too. I eh, haven't, you know. I haven't seen a '78 since my dad smashed one over my uncle Harry's head. <laughs> <laughs> we used to use them as frisbees. I remember a couple oh, of times yeah. we used them as frisbees when we were kids. And eh, they you know. used them for shooting with the shotgun. It was shotguns. That's right. They used them for. Uh, so it's DVDs. So I have a lot of uh, lot of tapes, like the small tapes. Yeah, you cassettes, take them? cassettes, cassettes, cassettes. Yeah. So I've got a thousand of them too. You know, <laughs> <laughs> bring them in. We'll, we'll trade. Bring them in. We'll trade. We'll barter. Eh? <laughs> it's it's interesting how now people are buying um, radios that play those yeah. old records, play the thirty three and a third cassettes. You know, now they're going back. What to goes buy around, Sharon, comes around. You go to London Drugs right now, and you'll see record players. Everybody yeah. wants a record player yeah. because the 33s have come back into Crazy. focus. They, you know, they nuts? come back. I don't know about the 45s or the 78s, but the 33s definitely they've come back. You know, as I said, what goes around comes around. Yeah, it does. <laughs> the first time in history in the last 40 years. 
Uh, vinyl is outselling CDs. Yep, you're absolutely <laughs> really? right. I, 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 Crazy. I, I read that somewhere on Facebook or someplace yeah, like that, that yeah. the vinyl is outselling CDs. Wow. Uh, you know, yeah. Well, yeah. Ron, we have to wrap it up, and I want to thank you very much for coming in and sharing about the hole in the wall. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> and remember, we're at 1299 3rd Avenue at the corner of Quebec and 3rd, right across from the old farmer's market here, you know. Right on. And uh, we hope to see you on Saturday. You know, Saturday our community market is open from 8.30 to 2, eh? Right on. And okay. I'll be at the door welcoming everybody, as usual. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next week to Senior Moments. Senior Moments is a co-production of 93.1 CFIS-FM and the Prince George Council of Seniors. Senior Moments is produced by Sharon Hearn. Theme music is courtesy of Golf Brooks Music. Catch the rebroadcast of today's show tonight at 9 or replay past shows through the podcast at cfisfm.ca. You're tuned to Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM, proudly supported by community groups like Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza.